The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and do not represent IICLE. You are now listening to In Ray, the podcast about all things law, big and small. I am your host, Christopher Noel. <clears throat> oh, oh, excuse, excuse me, excuse me. That's, I don't know where that came from, but today is all about AI. I feel like in 2018, everyone is so obsessed with robotics and automation and things like that, and that is fantastic, but we usually apply those types of things to our cars or computers or things of that nature, but what happens to the lawyer? What happens when AI gets closer and closer to being able to do some of the tasks that we can do. Maybe better, definitely faster, as we get closer and closer to automation and AI. Will the lawyer go extinct? My name is Jessica Watts. I am the Director of Business Development for Council on Call. Um, and prior to that, I was in the House Council for 17 years for various entities related to Hewlett Packard. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And you were recently um, showcased in Legal Tech uh, magazine. So yes. when, when you spoke about some things, I noticed you talked about um, how you dealt with e-discovery. How, how, what did you learn? How did you focus on e-discovery? So I started learning about e-discovery in the early 2000s when it became paramount that we, that we learn about um, how to use tools and technology in our favor to get through large volumes of data to comply with our obligations to the court and our obligations within litigation. And at the end of the article, I, it, it immediately struck me. Um, you said that you were most interested in AI. And that caused me to furiously look up <laughs> AI in the law profession, and I immediately said, I have to talk to Jessica Watts. <laughs> and um, yes. so can you talk a little bit for individuals, AI gets thrown around so much, artificial intelligence, of course. Can you talk a little bit about what is under that artificial intelligence umbrella? So AI is a very, very wide term. And basically, when we're talking about artificial intelligence, we're talking about using technology to augment human processes. As technology has developed in other areas, not AI necessarily, but just technology in general, think email, think the way we communicate today, think social media, um, we've had to come up with tools to be able to keep up with those types of technologies as it relates to industry, such as the legal industry. So I can give you some examples of what I would consider AI in the legal industry. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm very much, and I have been very much involved in e-discovery since, like I said, the very early 2000s. Um, and that comes from the fact that my background is um, in commercial litigation. Um, and in commercial litigation, there is a process where each party in the United States in particular, but it also happens in other countries as well, each party is required to exchange information in order to proceed with the lawsuit. Um, and in 
what I will refer to as the old days, that information um, could be a few boxes of documents. Um, now with the, the advent of email, with social media, with the various types of ways we communicate every single day, including smartphones, um, and laptop computers and things that we didn't have 40 and 50 years ago. Um, we just have such vast amounts of data that we're no longer talking about a few boxes. We're not even talking about a warehouse full of documents and boxes that, you know, might have happened, you know, 30 years ago for a very large corporation. Now we're talking in terms of gigabytes and terabytes and petabytes and zettabytes. Mm. And... And so it, it, it's no longer feasible for a group of lawyers <laughs> to sit down and go through that virtual box of documents to determine what is relevant to a lawsuit and what we have to turn over to the other side. Um, and the more information that we get out there, or the more information that, that is proliferating, and it is every single day, I promise, <laughs> um, the less feasible it is for human beings to actually do that work. So... We have, we have in the legal industry, um, been using some sort of technology assisted review probably for the last 15 years. Um, and it started really with being able to load all of this electronic discovery into databases. So what we do is we process the data, pull out relevant fields about the data, metadata, mm -hmm. and put it into a database, which allows us to sort it. It allows us to search it. It allows us to look at it in different ways and manipulate it rather than having to go that linear page by page by page. Um, and so some of the very first um, artificial intelligence, if you will, would be things like being allowed to search, so using Boolean search terms for that, um, clustering documents that are similar, um, concept searching, which was a really big deal, which is instead of looking at, you know, just for instance, if I was searching for um, the word penguin, old AI would pull out anything that was penguin, right? Whether it's a publisher, whether it's a sports team, or whether it's a small flightless bird. When you're talking about concept searching, you put a few, a little bit more information in and say, no, I really want to talk about the small flightless bird, penguin, and it will suddenly bring out things like Antarctica and other related concepts to penguins. And so that's sort of how it started. And in about 2005, 2006, we started looking at even better ways to use that artificial intelligence, that, com that com computers and the way that they work, to sort of propagate human decision. Um, so technology-assisted review has been the big buzzword since 2006, probably, well, through today even. And, you know, what... What that technology was, was basically having a lawyer sit down and look at a set of documents, a subset of documents, mm -hmm. and then propagating the lawyer's decisions about those documents across similar documents. So the computer would go out and try to find similar documents to the ones that the lawyers were interested in and come back and say, are these, are these like this? Um, and so that's what we, we refer to sort of as, as, as Technology Assisted Review or TAR 1.0, um, and there are some advantages and disadvantages. I mean, the advantages are clearly that we don't have to review now a million pages of documents. Um, 
the dis, you know, we have the ability to instead review a handful of documents um, and have the computer, um, you know, run algorithms to bring information back to us to say, okay, so what about this? And it was sort of an iterative process, but it really did cut down the amount of data we had to ultimately review to get to the, the, the crux of the data, the data we needed to turn over in our litigation, and the data we needed to be able to prove or disprove prove our case or disprove somebody else's case. Oh, okay. Um, so in recent years, we have now processes, and this is just an e-discovery, but we now have a process called continuous active learning. Um, because one of the downsides to that first, the first way we did it was you had to have all of your data already collected. Um, and while we like to think of litigation as being sort of a straight line, it tends more to look like branches off of a tree. Um, because as you're going through that discovery process, you find out that there may be other additional witnesses who might know information. Or you find another source of data that you didn't know about when you first started. And so trying to add that data into the process was, was, was a little bit of a complication. Um, so now we have some technologies that are called continuous active learning. And, and the thought behind that is, um, I've heard it referred to, fun, you know, funnily enough, as sort of Pandora for e-discovery. Hmm. So it's starting a document review and saying, oh, I like this document, it's relevant to me. And so what the, the technology does is it searches through, and it, it's continually refreshing, every 30 seconds refreshing. And it says, if we like this document, you might like this document. Um, and eventually you get to where you don't like any of the documents and you can then do some statistical sampling and not review the rest of the documents that, well, they're not junk. They're definitely not related to the case you have at hand. And so all of this is absolutely critical for us to be able to do litigation today, um, particularly big corporate commercial litigation, because the data is otherwise too voluminous to actually put human beings on it to look at day by day by day. Yeah. But I will say it still requires human beings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's really, really, I look at artificial intelligence as our way of coping with mm -hmm. the volumes of data that, that we as human beings are creating every single day. And those volumes keep growing. Ah. So our AI has to keep getting better. Oh. Well, and, you know, in new media, um, when some of the research, you have the determinism, right? So you have hard determinism and soft determinism. Hard determinism is, you know, we think that AI is basically going to turn into the Terminator, where it self-actualizes, creates robots, and kills us all, right? All right. <laughs> and then we have soft determinism, which it sounds like um, you're a proponent of that, where instead of the hard determinism Terminator scenario, we have a very much um, a union between human thinking and AI creation. Um, so Correct. in the future, how do you think that AI will be used specifically in the law profession? So what's interesting is because because litigation was one of the very first areas for AI in, in the legal profession because because of this these overwhelming amounts of data. But now we're starting to see it in contract negotiation. 
we're starting to see it in M&A deals, being able to get through large amounts of contracts and, and, um, and, and, and using software to be able to pull important data points out of that. Um, we also see it, um, we're, we're seeing it in just different and new, new places. Um, there's actually old places that we've used artificial intelligence, you know, since when I was in law school and I graduated law school in 1997. Um, and that's things like Westlaw and, and Nexus and that's, that's legal research. So, so that would be having all of the legal opinions out there, um, put up in a computer platform, but also indexed and searchable and searchable in really meaningful, easy ways. So being a little bit old school, I've done searches using the books, right, <laughs> um, versus Westlaw and Nexus. And, and, and there's just there's an amount of artificial intelligence in, in those online tools as opposed to having to go through the books. Um, so it's really just trying to make our jobs as lawyers easier and more efficient. And so, yes, I, I totally, I do not believe in the Terminator um, <laughs> paradigm at this stage. <laughs> Maybe ask me in 50 years. <laughs> Unless, you but, know, um, robot overlords have taken us all over. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> but I don't see that in the legal profession. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because there's still so much, there's still so much human opinion that comes into the legal profession. Um, you, you may or may not, if you work with lawyers, nothing is black and white. Everything is gray. Computers do great with zeros and ones, but they don't understand gray. And you ask a lawyer his or her opinion on just about anything, and you're going to get it. It depends. So, um, you know, we still have a need for lawyers, but I think we're pushing um, we're pushing the tasks that we've had lawyers do traditionally in the past up a level. So, in other words, we're pushing them to you know higher levels of, of work as opposed to things like document review or basic contract creation, you know, fill-in-the-blank contract creation um, or abstraction. And we're allowing lawyers to do higher-level work. Well, and recently um, a couple of articles have been published. Uh, One was by MIT Technology Review. And um, in the article they had a piece where there were 1.3 million lawyers in the U.S., and it said that there was a 22% chance, uh, 22% of the lawyers uh, could be replaced by AI. That's 286,000 lawyers uh, in the U.S. And in right. futurism.com, they had that um, on average, they looked at how um, they took lawyers and an AI created by LogEeks. And the lawyers and the AI had to essentially... Um, work through non-disclosure agreements, um, so form-based things. And by the end of it, they found that the average human took 92 minutes to finish reviewing the contracts, um, whereas an AI took 26 seconds. (laughs) So it sounds like, it sounds like as of now is, is it just grunt work that AI is um, affecting the lawyer in, or do you think it should be more? I think it is, and I, I hate to use the term grunt work, but it is. It's those repeatable processes. It's those low-level repeatable processes where the decision is a zero or a one. Mm-hmm. Um, the lawyers instead 
you know, are having to be used on higher levels where it's not a zero or one, it's complex negotiation skills or it's complex litigation issues. Um, even brief writing, you know, we can have computers who can, who can help with brief writing, but at the end of the day, it's the human beings who can understand better the venue, the arguments that have worked in the past, the best, mm-hmm. the clients, and all of the various and different facts. And so we, we, we really, you know, I, I'm very much opposed to saying that this, that AI gets rid of lawyer jobs because mm-hmm. I don't think that that's the case. I think that there's still plenty to do for lawyers. It's just at a higher level than it might have been before in the 1980s when they would throw out an army of lawyers to do simple document review. Um, first of all, we can't, there is no such thing as simple document review anymore. Um, but secondly, we really want instead to take those lawyers and have them working on how they're going to be, you know, using the documents that are found by, via AI. And, and how they're going to craft their questions for witnesses and how they're going to work with witnesses and prepare for trial mm-hmm. um, as opposed to spending all of their time trying to find that one hidden document. Ah. So what does this all mean for the law student right now? If they're listening to this, what <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> so. So, and, and I think it's good news for law students just because, because a lot of the law students today have grown up with technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think it's more threatening to, to lawyers who maybe didn't grow up with technology and who haven't fully embraced technology. But those who grew up with technology, um, are, are at an advantage because they know how to use it best. They use it in their everyday life, and they probably used it in their everyday life since a very young age. Um, so this is just another example of how they're going to be able to use that technology to further their legal career. I can tell you even back, I say back in the day, but back in the 90s, the 80s and 90s, lawyers out of law school didn't want to sit and review documents. They wanted to be in the courtroom. They wanted to be learning how to take depositions. They wanted to be learning the hands-on, nitty-gritty things. Um as opposed to this rote, um, very lower level um, type of work that they were trained on. And arguably, that's not necessary training for a lawyer these days. You know, now they can come in and they can start doing more meaningful work sooner. Okay, so it's not so much, and that's what I wonder, is it kind of paying your dues nowadays? Um, Is that... Is that kind of the way it would be, or um, you know, by doing? It used that, to be paying your dues. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it used to be paying your dues, and now I think it's more um, how analytical you are, how intelligent and hardworking you are, um, mm. and how you, you know, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of paying your dues. I think just because we did it one way 20 years ago, mm-hmm. we don't have to do it that same way now. Um, there's other ways for for us to teach our young lawyers. Um, there's ways to give them cases to manage, you know, smaller cases to manage um, with direct supervision and allowing them to learn the processes. Um, much like, you know, lawyers in smaller firms, you know, who right out of law school have had to do from the very beginning. Um, it, you know, this is just, it's just a different way than the big firm is used to training lawyers and they have to come up with more meaningful assignments for these lawyers now. Yeah. And um, 
recently I, I just saw that Deep Blue, um, they had, and I, I don't know if you'd seen this, but they essentially created an AI um, that was able to have a debate with an individual, and the AI won. Um, so <laughs> I don't I don't know how good that is, but um, do you think, especially when it comes to logic, logos, um, do you think that in the courtroom, um, AI, I guess there would be the logical, could AI do it? But I think the moral, should AI do it? Should AI be in the right. So we have we haven't asked them in, in the law, and that is bad facts make bad law, mm-hmm. because no matter what, no matter what, at the end of the day, it's humans making these decisions. You know, our constitution provides that. Um, you know, in, in the criminal context, at the very least, everybody deserves a jury of their peers. Um, many state constitutions require that, even in the civil context. You know, people have the right to have other people um, make decisions as to who has a more valid case. Um, and so I, I, I can't see, I could see how a computer may be able to do that, but I think removing the human element of it would, I think it would, I think it would remove the humanity from the entire process. Um, whether that's for the better or not. I mean, there's always criticism of our justice system as it is today. Um, but, you know, we still have a better system than, than most of the countries yeah. in the world. So besides just, you know, essentially getting forms correct, um, what is the more positive side of an individual working alongside an AI? Although we get our, do- our jobs done much more efficiently. We can take on more work now mm. um, because we're more efficient. So maybe it'll alleviate it's like having some a la- stress. Exactly. It's like having a laptop or a smartphone. Um, there's, there's pros and cons to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with my phone <laughs> because I feel like I'm always available, but at the same time it gives me the freedom to be able to um, have a much more flexible work arrangement than, than we would have 20 years ago where you're stuck at a desk all day. Um, and as a lawyer, you're stuck at a desk for very, very long days. Um, and, and so, yeah, AI is the same way. There's, there's going to be pros and cons to it. But the pros to me are, you know, definitely the efficiency, definitely the flexibility, um, and, you know, allowing us to actually do more you know, with less of our time. Yeah. I think one of those things, one, one thing that individuals nowadays um, kind of don't understand about computers is it's not just, we have antiquated views of, well, computer coding is for specific individuals who do a specific job. We live in a world now where it's almost like learning another language, learn Spanish, learn Python, you know? And I heard you uh, mention right. Boolean. And so it sounds like you know about coding yourself. How important do you think it is for the lawyer, be they um, established 20 plus years or they're still in law school? How important do you think is it for them to at least know some sort of coding? I don't think it's important for them to know coding. I think it's important for them to understand the language. Mm-hmm. So I spent, when I was in-house, I spent a great deal of time 
um, interpreting the jargon, and that's what it is, between lawyers and IT. So, you know, lawyers speak a different language than an IT professional would speak. Um, and that's, that's true across any sort of profession. Um, and so I think it's more and more important that lawyers start to learn how to speak um, the technology <laughs> um, that they're using. So if they're not a litigator, they, there's no reason for them to understand the e-discovery jargon and to understand what a gigabyte is as opposed to a terabyte. Um, but if they're, say, they work in contracts and negotiations, they'll definitely want to understand the types of tools out there that help with you know, crafting the NDAs without, you know, human beings. They'll want to understand how it is that they can put together the templates for those types of things and the escalation paths for those types of things because they have to have those. So, so I, I do think it's important that, that lawyers start to learn more about technology that, that they can use and they should be using to save their clients money and save themselves some time, which is, in fact, saving their clients money. So to the lawyer listening to this, um, or law student, um, what's the first thing they should do to get more education about AI? Read. There's so much on the Internet about AI. Um, and, and go to the reputable sources. I, I don't like the scare the ones where lawyers are all going to be using the, you know losing their jobs, but mm. there's a lot of reputable sources out there um, for them to use law technology today. Um, you know, Google um, you know AI and and the law or specific areas of AI, whether it's e-discovery, whether it's contract abstraction, contract creation, um, and and learn about those types of things. Also, there's a lot of law schools out there now who are offering programs or, you know, classes um, around some of the technology that's now used in, in, in law school. So I think it's really important for um, those lawyers to learn these things. But as I said, most of the lawyers in law school today are already pretty familiar with AI because they live with it every single day. So this is just another aspect of it. If they can understand how to use Pandora then they can understand how to use some of these AI tools as well. One thing, I, I, as a kid, I loved the story of John Henry. We know that it's kind of that idea of man versus machine. AI lawyer versus human lawyer. Who wins? Well, if it's done correctly, they should both win. Hmm. Um, I really, I, again, I, I don't... Because because of my background and because of how I got involved in in the different you know uses of AI, I I feel like it shouldn't be something where it's it's a competition between us. Instead, it needs to be it needs to be a cooperation. Amy McFadden, Director of Publications. Rachel Sims, Manager for Legal Document Automation. Excellent. So in the last piece, we talked about AI and how it's kind of changing the landscape of business in general, but also of being a lawyer. So how has ICL come to that conclusion here? How, how have we reached the, the decision to move forward and innovate in that same style? Okay, well... 
a few years ago, it would have been 2015, we started exploring the idea of, of using some of the simple automation that's out there to complete legal forms. And so at that point in time, we, you know, we tested out different options and landed on the form tool. It is a plug-in to Microsoft Word, and we liked that it was affordable and easy to use, and it works right within Microsoft Word. So uh, that's how we arrived there. We knew we wanted to do something to make it easier for attorneys and, and knew that there were some possibilities out there. In the last piece, I talked about the idea that there's an extinction of lawyers, right? We, when we can automate things, do people still become relevant when it comes to those more automated tasks or tasks that can be automated? So is this just another way of kind of extincting the lawyer, so to speak? No, I don't think so. I view it more as a tool to help attorneys be more productive, honestly. Uh, there's still reasoning that legal reasoning that has to be done when an attorney populates a form. It's not just um, something that anyone could come and sit down and do. So it certainly does not cut out the lawyer. What it does cut out is the tedium of, of making sure that all of the details are correct in a, in a form. Yeah, and just to hop on to what Amy said, uh, so the idea with formula is that um, the questionnaire is what the lawyer will fill out to then populate the form with the automated responses. So what the lawyer needs then is all of those you know, skills and knowledge that they bring to the table to be able to apply their client's data to the form. So you still need to know what you're doing, essentially. You still need to know all of your client's information and how that's going to relate to whichever form it is that you're trying to write here. Um, and you will apply all of that knowledge as you're filling out the questionnaire. So the questionnaire essentially saves you from doing sort of the old-fashioned hunt and peck of going through an old Word document, deleting all of the old data and filling in your client's new data. The automation technology will populate the form with that data for you, but you still are going to need all of your client's information. You're still going to need all of the knowledge and skills to bring to bear on knowing how to author that form yourself. So when it comes to the automated forms, things like that, what where what's the plus? Because let's say I'm kind of a little bit old school, maybe. Maybe I'm an old school lawyer. I don't want to replace my paralegals. Is this a way to replace paralegals themselves? No, again, I think it's a tool as much for a paralegal as it is for an attorney. And in fact, it might enable a paralegal to do more than he or she may have been able to accomplish in the past because what it does is focus the blanks in a form and distills it down into a question in the questionnaire that Rachel's mentioned and basically makes it, kind of gets to the meat of what needs to be done. So, no, I, I don't think it, it replaces paralegals at all. Yeah, it's really more, it's, it's better to think of it more as just another tool in your arsenal, really. Um, so it doesn't... It doesn't replace anything that a lawyer or a paralegal needs to know how to do. It just makes doing that both simpler and quicker. Um, and, and more like, accurate as more well. More accurate um, because you get to focus on the details that you need to do to represent your client as opposed to, you know, going through the for, you know, your old Word document with a fine-tooth comb making sure that, you know, you didn't accidentally leave a previous client's data in there, for example. So... When we talk about this being automated, I mean, it sounds like it might free up a bit of time. We talked about how to best uh, do your time in a previous episode. How, how can I maximize my output? 
So this seems like another way to kind of maximize set output, at least automation in general. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think what it does is takes away some of that um, finer formatting details that, that take a lot of time at the end when you're trying to draft. At the end, you may spend um, nearly as much time as you spent drafting the form and making sure that it's formatted properly. And basically, this kind of cuts to the chase and gets the data in. You enter it one time, and then it populates throughout the form as appropriate. So um, again, I think what it does is free up time that an attorney can use on other files or to do more for the same client. So it is a time saver in that sense, absolutely. Right. So the idea is that it is going to allow the lawyer to spend as much time as possible with the client, essentially. Um, so you, so rather than doing, I don't want to say administrative in a bad sense, but sort of administrative paperworky type quote unquote details where you you are spending more time editing like you are spending the bulk of your time now with with the information with the client's data with the client's information with you know wrestling with the legal issues that you need to convey in this in this form that you're you know submitting to the court to your client you know to whatever whatever form this is being used for specifically you know the lawyer with, with automation technology it essentially takes out some of the some of the busy work and allows more I guess time and knowledge to be spent on the things that matter the the actual client representation next oh, so we kind of have this idea of populating the form and moving forward with that with automation so I mean, do you guys see some sort of ultimate AI taking over for form population? Well, not taking over necessarily, <laughs> okay. but what, what we have learned over the about the past year is that a lot of our readers are interested in a subscription option. Currently, we offer automation, automated forms on an a la carte basis and or you can purchase suites of forms, but it's not something that's dynamic in the sense that you go to a database and retrieve the most recent version of that form. And so we've got we've had pretty high demand for that. So that's our next phase as far as automation goes, is looking at another platform and how can we provide um, access to people on a subscription basis. And that's something that we're working to uh, complete and have available within the next six months to a year. Yeah. And to add on to that, I would say, you know, that Subscription services um, are the, the current trend and I would say the way of the future as well. The idea that you can basically pay a flat fee, subscribe to a service, and then you would have all of these forms available at your fingertips rather than, as Amy said, downloading them a la carte or in suites. Um, and the idea that you could just go to a website, access whatever form questionnaire you needed, and it would auto-generate the form that you needed. I think um, I think that's just another example of how automation technology and technology in general can really make life both easier and more productive for attorneys because again you're getting to spend you're going to you know one place for all of these forms essentially entering the data that you need to enter and then you've got a, a working you know ready to submit form at the end of that process so i think i think this is an innovation that's going to save a lot of time and i think Again, with the whole streaming services, you know, being the wave of the future, I think the idea of a subscription-based platform is is going to be a, a key innovation for the future. Yeah, I think um, I'd look at that, too, as more of, of an and rather than an or proposition. So thinking of it like your flavors of ice cream, we're not necessarily going to stop offering the a la carte option, 
but we do know that there are some people who have expressed a preference for having the subscription. So, uh, we're, you know, it's again, it's about providing options. Different people like to come at things di in different ways. If you can use Microsoft Word, you can use Formula. It's literally as simple as as adding a toolbar, and this is part of the software that that the form tool consists of. It it just plugs into Microsoft Word. And so if you're used to using Word to draft, this is just a layer on top of Word. So it's not anything um, crazy and new that you have to have to become very familiar with ins and outs of commands. It's it's just um, straightforward and meant to work that way. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a short learning curve. Yeah, I would echo that by saying that, you know, Chris, going off of what you said earlier when you mentioned, you know, well, maybe some people are, are old school or a little nervous about this technology. Like Amy said, if you know how to use Microsoft Word and you're already using Word in your practice, you can use Form Tool. It is a plugin that works straight within Word. You don't have to know how to code. You don't have to download any kind of you have to download the plugin for Word, but again, it will you don't have to open up anything special. You open up Word, it's already in your taskbar in Word. You know, basically nothing really changes for you on the user end. So, you know, we kind of try to emphasize that as well, that it's not a scary new technology. It's not intimidating if you already do word processing and complete your forms on your computer in Microsoft Word. You're 90% of the way there to being able to use Form Tool and the automation that it provides. Yeah. And so if they're interested, how can they get in touch about um, Formula? We have a wealth of information on our website at ickle.com forward slash formula. There are several videos on there. There's some general introductory, this is kind of what it looks like type videos. And then it goes from that all the way through to um, more complex features and functions that, um, you know, I shouldn't say complex, more advanced um, use of the software. So there's all kinds of information there. Um, and there is a free trial. So if you want to try it before you buy it, we do have the Illinois Attorney's Toolkit, which consists of four forms, um, and they're all sort of estate planning related, but the idea was that every lawyer at some point is going to draft some kind of a will, even if it's their you know, cousin's will. So uh, the, the forms are a long-form engagement letter, a simple will, and then both of the powers of attorney, and statutory short-form powers of attorney. Are available if you determine that you you know you downloaded the forms and the form tool is not quite what you're looking for you can still use those forms you'll just ignore the coding in the background and you can you can use them anyway so we really encourage people to try the the trial and get a sense of how it works with the caveat that you're not going to get the full experience but it gives you a sense for what it's all about yeah, and then if you do decide to try the Illinois Attorney's Toolkit and you end up loving it, um, there's a link straight on the Formula website, on Ickle's website, where you can download and purchase the one-time license fee for the Form Tool Pro. So we make it pretty easy, you know, the website is, is one-stop shopping with the, with the link to the actual plugin, help videos, and every time you purchase a Formula form, you, it comes bundled with a PDF that is a quick start guide and a help guide. So every time you purchase a form, we're assuming that you've never purchased one before. So there's no assumption that you're an expert. You know, there's no level of intimidation at any point that you're going to have, you know, an advanced form that's going to be more complex. Like it's very, it's very simple for the user from start to finish at every level of the process. We deal. And the link that you use to go to the, the, 
form tool is actually going to take you outside the ICL website for a time, and that's, you know, the transaction is done directly with the software company. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all easily accessible from our one kind of our hub on our website. But the the ICL has the forms, right? ICL automates yes, the forms. Yes, those are right. all those are all IICLE um, proprietary material. It's just the software piece that that comes from outside. Fantastic. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to find out more about IICLE, its programs, or publications, please visit IICLE.com.